0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb.
0: And I'm Julie Douglas.
1: Julie, what does meditation mean to you? How does meditation manifest in your own life?
0: Hmm. Usually it manifests itself in the sense that I'll be in the middle of something and I'll think, Oh my God, if I could only meditate and, (laughs) and meditate well... This would probably be the time that I need to do it. Um, so usually it comes up in the chaos of life, uh-huh. and uh, and then I start to think about how horrible I am at it.
1: <laughs> so so you can't uh, actually sit and um, and do like you or you don't normally sit around and do like say two hour meditation.
0: No, no, but I do it from time to time, uh-huh. and the reason is uh, because if I can just get ten seconds, ten seconds, five seconds, it doesn't matter uh, of some sort of state in which my mind goes blank and doesn't, you know, fill up with grocery lists or goofy thoughts or, you know, my back hurts or something like that, then I feel like that is, is a huge win. Um, or at least I, you know, I come away with feeling a little bit clearer and lighter.
1: Yeah. Well, for my own part, I'm, I'm also not, uh, seemingly capable of, um, lengthy meditation. And, uh, and for, for a while I was trying to do like a little meditation every morning, and then I kind of fell out of the habit of it. Uh, but that, but that was particularly nice where you just sort of, you know, I get up, I have my coffee and my smoothie and then go into the, uh, the sunroom for, you know, a couple of minutes and just try and not think about anything and just sort of sit there and let, uh, this is going to, I mean, a lot of this is going to sound kind of hippy dippy, but we're going to tie everything back into science, but kind of let life sort of happen to you and, and, and sort of lessen your role as a participant in life for yeah. just a few minutes. Um, and then, of course, then I start thinking about, oh, well, you know, I'm recording a podcast this morning or who, what am I blogging about today? Or, you know, what is the cat doing over there by the window? That kind of thing. But, um, yeah. but yeah, it's kind of like a you're talking about you think about it during the chaos. And it is kind of the idea of, of rising above the chaos in the same way that uh, you could have a, a fierce storm on Earth. And if you were in an airplane, you could fly above the cloud cover and everything would be clear. Mm-hmm. And uh the I- basic idea of meditation is that so much of our life is that storm and we are always capable of rising above it, you know, and and, right. and experiencing life as it as it actually is without all these emotional storms. We're- yeah,
0: I think I always think about, unfortunately, <laughs> Keanu Reeves. <laughs> um, Because he played Siddhartha, right? And there's this one scene in the movie. Did he? Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm not familiar with this film adaptation.
0: Um, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm sorry. I'm You're not talking right about the Matrix, it. right? No. Okay. Although he did play a kind of Siddhartha in that, yeah. right? Um, but he's in the middle of this maelstrom, like literally this storm that is blowing up around him and he's meditating mm-hmm. and he's, you know, completely unflappable and has moved in some sort of trance-like uh, experience. And this what you know, we know that, um, that this sort of level of meditation is something called like nirvana, right? Or samadhi, uh-huh. which is one of the, it's the highest level that you could ever achieve. And that's what made him Siddhartha, right? Or Kiana Reeves, either one. Um, but, you know, the, the idea is that you can block out the world.
1: And just to refresh, he played Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha. Yes. Know. Okay.
0: I'm pretty Keanu sure Reeves. it was Keanu okay. Reeves. Because I, I find it funny that he picks roles that don't have a lot of dialogue in them, and this was one of them.
1: So he just had to sort of sit there and look pretty, and he was kind of...
0: Yeah, he had yeah. to sit there with his eyes closed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it, it's interesting that we, we bring up movies, because I think before I actually tried meditation or even really had an idea of what it was, mm-hmm. which was a long stretch of my life uh, so far, I just had... Meditation was the kind of thing like a Shaolin monk might do in a movie before he started whipping people's butts, that you know, that oh, that was right. basically the the only real idea that meditation was this cool Eastern thing mm-hmm. that people in movies sometimes did, and they looked real serene and cool when they did it. And uh, and so I did have the right idea that it was somehow involved. Calmness focusing. And, and focusing the yeah. mind.
0: Well, see, I think that's the interesting thing about meditation is it means uh, something different to each person. And there are a million different ways to meditate and techniques and ways to use it. But, of course, when we see it in the purest sense in the East, you know, uh, from which it came, we see it as uh, particularly like in Japanese and Buddhism um there's really no goal of reaching this ultimate state of being or nirvana it's just about sitting for them it's about sitting period right um but we know here in the west that we've been using it as a panacea right like oh, okay if you want to lower your stress then you should meditate if you want to get rich you should meditate if yeah. you want to get skinny get you know th- the laundry list of things it, becomes that this, it can improve this kind on of
1: magical it. thing that can solve any problem which it's not
0: right. And, it's, and of course, there is this mystical aspect to it, because when you do when you can get in some, some sort of state mm-hmm. like that and, and uh, your brain is engaged in that, it does feel like something that special, special and mystical um, an experience that only you are having. Right.
1: Well, and it is tied into various religious traditions um. Even showing up in some uh, cr- Christian traditions, in, in like some, uh, there comes a point where prayer crosses over and really becomes more of right. meditation. Uh, and l- let me back up just a second to talk about two distinct types of meditation, mm-hmm. just to give a, a deeper idea of what we're talking about. Um, there is uh, uh, concentrative meditation, and then there is mindful meditation. And the, now, the analogy I like to think of is uh, think of a clear vortex, like a clear vortex of water. Um, uh, the kind that might exist in a, um, in a soda container after you've filled it with water and shook it up, you know, okay. like a whirlpool and it's clear. All right. Bubbles. Now, no bubbles. Okay. That's don't complicate the metaphor. All right. Okay. So, um, now imagine taking say a blue dye and pouring that in and that blue dye represents, um, worrying about the future. Mm-hmm. And then let's say you, you put in a green dye as well. And that dye represents, uh, fretting about the past. And so, and then there are other dyes as well, having to do with other concerns and worries in your life mm-hmm. and the more you put in, into it the, the vortex just becomes blacker and blacker and just you know in this horrible brown color and the, part of the idea of meditation is that uh is that so much of our life is like that we're we're this vortex of thought with all these things wrapped up in Getting it and muddled yeah, and those that's the and that's the the guys that's the the lens through which we view the world. Mm-hmm. And so the goal of meditation is to simplify that vortex. And the concentrative approach is, uh, generally actually involves stuff like, um, uh, repeating, uh, mantras, uh, focusing on a single word. And it's, the, the idea here is like, instead of putting all these different dyes into the vortex, mm-hmm. I'm gonna put a single dye. I'm gonna put this single, um, I don't know, uh, pick a color. Pink. Pink dye. We're gonna put this single pink dye that is this mantra or this phrase or just this OM thing. That's going
0: to replace the, the muddle of red and right. green and blue.
1: So, right. okay. so the vortex cannot disappear because mm-hmm. the vortex is our thought process. The vortex is us, mm-hmm. and the vortex is the way we view the world. But if we can focus it on one thing, then it simplifies everything.
0: Okay, so and, it's reductionism.
1: Yes, and then there's mindful meditation, and uh, mindful meditation um, – is about recognizing the flow of experience, the the thoughts, the sights, the sounds. Mm-hmm. So in this one, it's not as much about focusing, putting a different color into the vortex, vortex, but focusing on the vortex itself, really. So,
0: so that's okay. So the, the maelstrom is the maelstrom, and it is what it is.
1: Yeah, and just realizing the the, the maelstrom, and like, you know, and realizing what's happening with it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, or that's 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 the way I kind of tend to view the two different uh, different versions here. Okay. So those are essentially the two different kinds of meditation.
0: Okay. And I think it's interesting, too, to look at this, like what's happening inside the actual brain, um, just to give us an idea. We know that the brain always has some level of electrical activity going on. Right.
1: Measurable it, electrical Measurable,
0: activity. right, right. And the e, an EEG can measure that activity. And so you have different types of brain waves. Mm-hmm. Um, from slow to fast, you have delta, theta, alpha, and beta. beta. And we know that delta is associated with deep sleep. And on the other end of the spectrum, we know that beta is associated when um, you're working on a goal-oriented task, right? So during meditation, what we do know is that theta waves, right? They're, they're couched right there next to delta. Those are the most common brain waves in the frontal and middle parts of the brain, which are responsible for monitoring other thought processes or mental uh-huh. processes. So in other words, this part of the brain is basically dialing down the awareness of the other brain. Um, and, of course, we're seeing this uh, not in just like a casual meditators. We're seeing this in people who are highly experienced meditators. Um, and then we also see that alpha waves show up in the posterior parts of the brain. And this indicates a wakeful rest. Um, a study described in Science Daily, brain waves and meditation, makes the connection that the brain wave activity is much more changed in groups of meditators mm-hmm. than groups who just relax. Uh, so the extrapolation is that the brain is able to relax and focus a lot more in this meditative state. So there's definitely a difference. Some people think, well, can I just sit there and relax? I can watch TV. I can read a book. Um, or I can just sit there, but not necessarily meditate. The fact is, is that you still have your brain engaged different parts in, in, um, thinking, right?
1: Yeah. Like people often talk about, well, I'm just going to go home and turn off my brain. And by that, they mean watching TV. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's different things are going on. So while, you if you're just trying your hand at meditation or or certainly if you're inspired to give meditation a try mm-hmm. after listening to this uh, podcast and by all means do and, and write us and tell us what, what you think um just you know you may find yourself sitting there going wow i'm sitting here doing nothing i sure could whip out my smartphone and check my email as long as i'm sitting here or or i could start thinking about this or it, wouldn't i be better off you know catching up on uh, the show i just started watching on hbo or something but But that's, you're, then you're engaging different parts of your brain and you're, you're bringing in a lot of mental activity that you're ideally trying to remove from that vortex.
0: Right, because we're bombarded all the time, right? right? And actually, I think this is probably a good time to talk about memes, right? Yes. Um, we've talked about Susan Blackmore. She is a memeticist and, um, she's, built on Richard Dawkins' selfish gene premise that our genes carry carry on only to perpetuate themselves sort of regardless of the organism. This right?
1: is a lady with the crazy hair, too. She uh, has multicolored you, yeah. hair.
0: She's pretty wonderful. She's sort of like a rock star of this area. Um, and Dawkins also said that we've created a cultural equivalent in something he calls memes so this is the spread of ideas that compete to become part of our cultural fabric and not even just our cultural fabric but on an individual basis the things that you hear the words the ideas that sort of uh, come together in this mosaic for each person um, those are all competing things right yeah and um, it, it's a uh, it's the brain chatter really that we experience on a day-to-day level, and it's the songs we hear, it's the conversation we pick up, it's the imagined dialogues in our head, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and it's the effort of the brain to, to sort of, you know. Steer the car left when you're actually re-remembering a past event or a conversation. These are all the things that are crowding us out. And Susan Blackmore talks about memes extensively, and she actually talks about Teams too, which she says is technology which just giving us iterations of memes, um, which is for another day. Uh, but memes and meditation is something really important to her because not only is she a memeticist, but she is uh, she's like a Zen meditation practitioner 25 years now. Wow. Yeah. And in John Horgan's book, Rational Mysticism, he actually interviews her about her view on memes and meditation. And this is sort of him summarizing her thoughts on the topic. He says, we do not perceive the world directly as it truly is. We actively construct it. We construct ourselves, too. Our ordinary waking self is as artificial, invented, and illusory as the ethereal double selves we hallucinate in dreams and out-of-body experiences. Once we learn this fact and fully realize it in every moment of our lives, we can wake from the meme dream. And this is something she talks about all the time, the meme dream, all of this information that we're trying to uh just percolate in our brains um and and remember too this is interesting when you think about the fact that 99 percent of what we perceive when we enter a room isn't necessarily coming through our eyes it's actually how we are interpreting and inferring the data that we see yeah so again we've we've got all this happening at once so according to blackmore uh she said that meditation is not going to make you smarter or richer or healthier it's really about pruning back those memes
1: yeah yeah and it's um again, it, it brings back down this idea of there is a, there is the world as it is, and then there is the world as we see it, and that the world as we see it is influenced by all these memes and all these thought processes, and uh, and meditation often comes back to the idea of turning a lot of this off, and, and seeing the room as the room.
0: Yeah, and actually, uh, Blackmore has a bone to pick too, with, with meditators, and, um, and meditating in general.
1: Yeah, which we will get to uh, right after this quick break. This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of Tomorrow.
0: Yeah, uh, actually, Blackmore c- can argue, she w- and in fact will, that it's nearly impossible to get consistent data to tell us a coherent story about the effects of meditation. Yeah,
1: and one part is, even though I swiftly divided meditation into two types, there are so many different styles of meditation and methods of meditation. Mm-hmm. I mean, just think of it, you know, talking about reducing the vortex to one single color instead of a dozen at once. Well, they're just they're, just imagine that there are any number of colors you could make that vortex be. Um, and so, so there there's if you start looking around for ways to meditate, you will find lots of examples. And you can't study all of them. In a scientific study, you have to pick yeah. something and go with it. And so you inevitably do not have a complete picture of meditation as a global phenomena.
0: Well, and her problem with it, too, is that once you try to quantitate results, you're trying to apply an agenda to something that doesn't necessarily have an agenda. Right. Right. Because,
1: again, meditation is not – it it should not be, in its more traditional forms, it should not be, I will meditate now to try and make myself healthier. Right. It's not that kind of thing. And I don't know why someone would talk like a robot while meditating. Well, that's
0: your meditation voice, I think. Yeah. (laughs) We've heard your dolphin voice, your meditation voice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's why she says you get wildly different data sometimes uh, when you have two different groups. And part of that, too, can be because the, the actual sample group, um, she tends to say that people who are seeking out meditators, they tend to be more anxious and erotic than average. And oh. I know to report more problems in general and to have taken twice as many drugs as non-meditators. Huh. She doesn't say what kind of drugs or, you know, but, um, <laughs> in other words, it's not necessarily the sample group that you want to test. Yeah. Uh, in order to get sort of like across the board, even reliable results. Yeah. Now, this is her talking about in her experience, right, because you have to understand that she's going to uh, workshops into very intense, uh, like weekend retreats and so on and so forth. She's probably dealing with a different animal in, in terms of the people that she's come across as a scientist and a, a, um, a practitioner herself. Right. Yeah.
1: And these are and she's she's dealing in these cases, not with casual meditators.
0: That's right. These are people that maybe you have more intense personalities uh-huh. who, like her, you know, are, have been practicing this at this very high level for 25 years or more. Um, so, you know, that's a, it's sort of a, a different animal.
1: Well, then there's also the idea that, uh, uh, uh did she point out that, that, uh, people engaged in meditation are more often to be, uh, they're more open to become immersed in an experience, correct? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's another thing. And it, that sort of brought up the whole placebo effect, we, which we've talked about before. If right. you have a group that is, Ready, willing, and able to do something, then it may not bear out the same results as another group that is like, oh, okay, I'll just try out this meditation thing and see what sort of results I get.
1: Yeah. I mean, just imagine the difference if you were to say, hey, guys, I need 10 people, uh, like you advertised, like, I need 10 people for a meditation study. And then so you'd get 10 people who are like, yeah, I totally will blow a Saturday on a meditation study versus if you just went out on the street and were like, all right, you, 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 and you get here, meditation study now. Yeah. It's going to be an rather different results i'd imagine
0: right right they're already sort of queuing up this idea that they're going to have some sort of benefit from this and particularly in group meditation you see this too yeah because it's sort of a, a another issue of community and socialization um she talks about the maharishi effect oh yes yeah and we're not going to pick on transcendental meditation because actually as a technique um it, it is supposedly very helpful um but i think she is picking on Maharishi, uh, referring to Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, known as the Beatles guru, I think, to most people, who is the founder of Transcendental Meditation.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of our problems here is that you have the Maharishi International University in Fairfield, Iowa, and they publish their own uh, publications with uh, with different studies uh, in it regarding the uh, effects of Transcendental Medica- Meditation. So,
0: yeah. I.e. non-peer-reviewed. Yeah. Yeah. So no no challenge here.
1: So yeah, look look for that as you're looking at different results, uh, you know, in different uh, web searches for the positive effects of meditation. Right. Um. Now the mariachi, ef- not mariachi effect. That would be something <laughs> entirely different. The the ma- I'm, my mind still wants to say mariachi. Maharishi. Maharishi. Yes, the ma- Maharishi effect. Um. This comes down to the most in its most uh, phenomenal um, example would be that. 1% of the population gets together, mm-hmm. meditates, and changes the world. This is a claim, right? Yes.
0: That that there's less crime as a result of meditation. Okay. That's one claim.
1: 1% less. Because <laughs> those, uh, all Just, the people right. meditating can no longer be, you know, it, you, only if you picked hardened criminals, it seems like, would that statistically match up.
0: Okay. And of course, the, people have tried to run this through mathematical models, and it's not bearing out. Right. That's not a surprise, right? uh for for a number of reasons um and then the another claim is that they could influence the weather yeah and the last they could levitate
1: yeah well if if you know enough about the weather then uh, the the weather claim is just as ridiculous as as levitation because yeah. the weather weather is such a complex system based on global phenomena and um it it's just really complicated and uh the, i mean the idea that you could influence that with your thought that's, that's and and influence that with meditation is is rather far-fetched as far-fetched i think as one individual rising above um the ground on uh, like a i don't know a cushion of pure thought
0: yeah and um, and that's what blackmore's beef is right i mean she's basically saying i i uh, am a practitioner i do this i think that it has its benefits um but you know you've got this other group that was making sort of wild claims and detracting from, from what actually is a helpful and useful practice. Uh, I mean, the, the good news though, I mean, y- okay, uh, the bad news is not, you're probably not going to float into the air, right? You're probably not going to reach a sort of, uh, nirvanic state in which, uh, you're just gliding around on your own magic carpet. Right. Okay. So that's bad news. The good news is that we already know about neuroplasticity, right? We know that, um, we can change our minds to the degree that we can exercise, so to speak, the muscles, again, so to speak, in our brain. And we've seen this when we talked about uh, music in the mind and how in musicians, there are particular areas of the mind that are much more developed than in uh, other non-musicians. You see the same thing with people who are highly competent meditators, Uh, that there are parts of their brain that can actually expand and um and, and they've actually seen this in studies about compassion before the ability to become more compassionate
1: well and that's uh like you you look at the at, at uh, the buddhist teachings mm-hmm. and i mean that's one of the the core reasons for meditation is the idea that compassion arises from all of this
0: and that's world changing right yeah. i mean you don't have to levitate to change the world
1: yeah yeah uh that yeah the idea is that we um uh, uh we, we erase this idea of self, the, uh, the ego that steers us wrong sort of goes away and then we're able to experience c- compassion. So, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Yeah. And it just made me remember too, um, this, this idea of compassion and oneness, right? Cause mm-hmm. this is the sort of feeling and you've talked about before, like in religion and chanting, uh, again, this is in music too. Yeah. These yeah. are, these are all sort of things that help erase the ego and make you feel like you're something, uh, part of, part of something that's bigger than yourself. Right.
1: Yeah. Like I've often heard like ego described as, I mean, so I think we've discussed in the past about like traumatic experiences arising. Um, you experience something traumatic and then the the, the memories really begin to take hold as you form a story about it, Mm -hmm. which is to say, I don't know, like, let's say, um, uh, you know, somebody cuts you off, um, while you're trying to drive to work. And that may be kind of, you might have a, like a reaction of, oh, well that's irritating. But then if you were to continue to stew over it and you create this story where it's like, I, somebody cut me off. Mm-hmm. You know, this happened to me. Uh, I was in this situation where I was wronged. We create a story at which we're the center because we're the ego.
0: Right.
1: And, uh, and, and our egos are, are almost all out of control. And, uh, and, and so we, we end up caught up in that story, right?
0: Yeah, you're caught up in the story. You have all these emotions. Uh, and, and in fact, there's uh, another piece of information from Rational Mysticism by John Horton. Mm-hmm. He talks to a guy named James Austin. He's a neurobiologist and he himself, a uh, Zen Buddhist. Uh huh. And he's the author of Zen and the Brain. And he talks about those, the events that you described, um, as a neural pruning if you can get rid of that experience through meditation. Um, this is from the book uh, in Rational Mysticism, Mysticism. Quote, he compares meditation to sculpture or etching, which also creates by taking away. He means this analogy literally. He cites evidence from animal studies that neurochemicals such as L-glutamate, aspirate, and nitric oxide can act as excitotoxins, which destroy specific types of neurons in specific regions of the brain by overstimulating them. Released by mystical experiences such as meditating, right? Um, excitocons can be potent agents, Austin writes, prompting a kind of highly localized etching away within certain vital regions of our huh. brain, right? So basically, as we lose neurons, we also shed beliefs, obsessions, and emotions that distort our view of reality, says John Horgan. This is a very fascinating book, by the way, for anybody who's interested. And, um, science and mysticism. Yeah. It's called rational mysticism. But again, here's this idea, and it's sort of extrapolating on what Susan Blackmore said, which is, you know, you take all of these memes, you cull them down, and and here, here on a, you know, neurological level, it's being done. These excitotoxins are mm-hmm. releasing this experience for you.
1: Um, another, uh, example that comes to mind is a study we were looking at, a uh, 2007 UCLA study, uh, from psychologist, um, uh, Matthew Lieberman. And, uh, and and this study uh, suggests that that when you name emotions, you can tame them. You can. Right. Um, it's it's kind of the the idea. Of, a, a lot of uh, of meditation again comes down to recognizing what's going on in your own thought processes mm-hmm. and realizing, hey, I'm being an egotistical jerk about this. I shouldn't do that, as opposed to just being an egotistical jerk and not realizing it, which is you know what most people do. Um, and well, what everybody does at some point, and this
0: is the mindfulness yeah. aspect, right? That you're being mindful of what's going on in your thought process. Right.
1: So how do you study this? Right. Well, uh, Lieberman took, um, took it in his college, the colleagues, they took about 30 people and they hooked them up to, um, fMRIs and he showed them photos of men and women's emotional expressions. All right. And when the, um, and, and they would, uh, they would choose labels for these emotions that they saw in the picture. They're like, "Oh, well, that guy's mad. That guy's constipated, etc." Well, I don't think constipation was one of them. I, guess- saying, I don't know.
0: That's an em- <laughs> maybe it is an emotion. I don't know.
1: But um, well, we've discussed before the digestion is is strongly linked to our mind. That's from, right. You know, that
0: your gut is your second brain.
1: But uh, anyway, so they um, when the participants would would choose labels for negative emotions, um, it would it would stir activity in the right. Uh, lateral prefrontal cortex region. This is the area associated with thinking in words about emotional experiences.
0: So naming them? Yeah. Okay. Uh,
1: whereas activity in the, um, amygdala, the brain region involved in emotional processing, uh, stuff there would calm down.
0: Ah, uh, okay. So
1: it's, it, it, it's, it's the, the direct correlation there. It's like I'm, I'm realizing this is anger and then I'm experiencing anger less for realizing it's like I'm stepping outside of it and looking at it. And then I'm gaining gaining just a little bit of uh of uh, of distance from it, you know.
0: Well, that's interesting too, because if you've gone through a, a meditation practice before, a lot of times um, you'll be advised to name something and let it go, right? Um, mm-hmm. Like if a thought comes into your head, you say, okay, the color blue goes away, or something, uh, some sort of remembrance of something that happened today. Oh, I was angry about something. It's the, sort of the same thing, right? Because yes. that's on the, on the road to meditation, you have to sort of name all these things and, and let them float away from you in order to get in this, I guess, cleaner space in your head. Right. So it's interesting that once you do that, the amygdala kind of goes, okay, we're just going to be calm here. Yeah. Cause we've done the job here of, of tagging what we need to.
1: All right. Well, there you go. Meditation. Now for the, the next, uh, two hours of this podcast, we're going to do a guided meditation. Oh wait, no. No, Mary no. signaling me that that's out. No, I'm that sorry. And, uh, yeah,
0: uh, we were going to chant and everything. You're
1: out of time for that.
0: Oh. Banana,
1: rima, no, no, we're not doing B-fi, it. It's gone. Cancelled. Shut it down.
0: Okay.
1: All right. So, um, yeah, we can't do that. Um, and uh and uh, since we've gone a little long, I'm actually going to uh skip the listener mail as well. Uh but we'll come back to that in future uh episodes, of course. And uh in the meantime, uh if you have any tidbits about meditation, um you can come check out our Facebook and Twitter feeds we are blow the mind on both of those and we would really love to hear from any uh, we'd love to hear from from people who are just trying meditation for the first time and uh, their own experiences with what it's like uh, we'd also love to hear from people who have been meditating for Ages, uh, you know, people who feel like they're, they're experts uh, at it or, or at least are well versed in it and uh, hear what you have to say about this podcast.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we also have a great article too about the Maharishi, the Beatles and uh, what they all have to do with bringing yoga to the West. So just make sure that you pop it in our handy search bar. Um, any of those terms, Beatles, mm-hmm. yoga, Maharishi.
1: Yeah. And if you're wondering about uh, meditation and pain, we have an article called, could meditating before or during surgery decrease your pain by Julia Layton? Uh, you'll find that on the homepage as well.
0: Yep. And please do drop us a line and you can do so at below the mind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The How Stuff Works iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes.